everyone. Gary Tester from Catholic Charities along with... Father Anthony of the Chaplain of Catholic Charities. I love it when you say that. Wow. <laughs> and this morning we welcome Catherine Galda, who is the Director of Behavioral Health Services for Catholic Charities. And we're going to be talking today about suicide with a particular eye towards youth suicide. We'll explain why we're having this conversation in just a few minutes. But we're pleased to welcome you to Mercy in Action. Father, do you want to start us off in the normal way? Okay, as usual, we'll start with prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord of joy, we implore your help for those struggling with depression. Although the causes of depression are varied and not fully understood, we acknowledge you as the Lord of hope and peace, who is capable of bringing about healing of body, mind, and soul. Remind those battling depression that your love is greater than any earthly challenge, and that there are many people ready and willing to lend a listening ear, an open heart, and hands clasped in prayer during this ordeal. Help those who have depression to know that they are not alone, and strengthen their loved ones to be there for them in their time of greatest sufferings. May this knowledge and support lead them to find encouragement in you, the Lord of all hopefulness. And we ask this in your name. Amen. 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 And we have a short reading from the first book of Samuel, chapter 31, beginning at verse 4. And this may seem like a very strange reading. Then Saul commanded his armor-bearer, Draw your sword and run me through, lest these uncircumcised men come and stab me themselves, making fun of me. But his armor-bearer did not move, because he was greatly terrified. So Saul drew his own sword and fell upon it. Seeing that Saul was dead, the armor-bearer also fell upon his sword and died with him. And sure enough, this sounds really strange to be choosing this, but we're talking about suicide. And when we talk about suicide, we're talking about persons who, as in the old days they would say, who lay violent hands upon themselves. And this is exactly what Saul did. Because Saul had got to this place in his life where he felt that he was totally defeated and that there was no hope. And so he was seeking someone to put him to death, wanted his armor bearer to kill him. But of course, I guess the armor bearer had some respect for life and would not do it. And Saul killed himself. And the armor bearer was also depressed seeing that, that he too fell on his own sword. Even when we talk about the issue of suicide, there are people who think that, you know, um, the example set by others through suicide may cause them to want to do the same. But we do come to know that persons do this because they feel that there is no way out. And I believe as we embark on this podcast of Mercy in Action, we're sure that, that there is a way out. 
and we have words of encouragement that come to us from our catechism, the catechism of the Catholic Church, because we have come across persons who have, you know, who have experienced suicide in their families or among their friends. But number 2283 of the Catechism says that although suicide is a grave matter, we should not despair of the eternal salvation of persons who have taken their own lives. By ways known to him alone, God can provide the opportunity for salutary repentance. And the Church prays for persons who have taken their own lives in the same way that we pray for persons who are contemplating suicide. And so it is with this that we turn this over to, to Catherine to see what she has to say to us and what Gary may lead her to say. Ooh, I sense a prompt there. <laughs> so, Father, first of all, I think the reading was excellent. And I think it does show the hopelessness that can affect even those in great positions of authority and power. It also shows that, Catherine, I'll probably use the wrong word here, but the contagiousness of depression and hopelessness. And so I know that among the many things we have you doing at Catholic Charities with your team, one of the concerns you're, you're trying to address is this issue of suicide and particularly youth suicide. Give us a little backdrop on, on why this is, why it's an emerging concern instead of just always a concern. One of the things that research has told us nationally and both uh, in Florida as well is that teen suicide rates are on the rise. Young people from um, statistics from 2015 to 2020, suicide rates are going up by almost 60% in the age groups. Was that 6-0%? Yeah, 6-0%. Wow. In the age groups of 10 to 24 years of age. And that number is astounding in and of itself. Mm -hmm. And we haven't taken into account yet. The data hasn't been collated and, and digested and understood to understand now how the pandemic may impact those numbers. Um, so to say this, this is disturbing is, is a real understatement. The best information that's out there doesn't point to a singular reason that this is happening. You know, certainly it has something to do with the spread of technology and the more information that's out there, information that relates to, to social bullying and internet bullying, ways of people connecting with one another that have young people getting much more information coming right into their electronic devices than they ever had before. Well, it's interesting. I, I appreciate you bringing that up. And something that, as a parent, something that comes into my mind as, as we have this conversation. I remember back in the day when I was in college, working on that world-famous Bachelor of Arts degree in psychology, one of the things that studies showed was that adolescents thrive on structure. And I think part of what you're articulating, Catherine, is that the potential for the way that the technology works is it leads to less structure because kids have more free time that's focused on things and they can't control what comes in. Right. And I think the other piece that goes in is, is you know, from a, from a dad perspective, the world's a whole lot more confusing than it used to be. Absolutely. Um, just the, there's, there's not structure in the world around them um, in so many different ways. There are things that they are faced with from a choice standpoint that were never choices. 
and now they are. It's just amazing to consider all the different aspects of life that seem to crash in upon our adolescence. So it's rising. The, the incidence is rising. And as you point out, we don't know yet what the pandemic has done. I mean, if you just think of how we sit here today, we have the, the war in Ukraine and Russia that's been going on for a few weeks. Uh, we have the pandemic that still continues. Uh, we have inflation that is hitting families in mm-hmm. a way that, you know, young people are becoming more aware of the fact that things that they used to have at home, maybe they don't have anymore because mom and dad can't afford it. It's just it's a luxury they're not going to pay for. Why is this an issue in central Florida? It's an issue across the state of Florida, but certainly, certainly in central Florida, we're seeing numbers go up. We're seeing more young people reaching out uh, or being and being identified in schools as having emotional difficulty, as as coping with or attempting to cope with high levels of anxiety. It gets expressed in behavioral ways in school. It gets expressed in dropping grades. So. In Central Florida and beyond, there's a real concern that we're seeing young people struggle. And with the wonderful systems that we already have in place are not enough. The pandemic has produced some shifts in the ability to access care. The pandemic has also uh, made it a little bit more difficult because of wait times to be able to get the services that you need. I sit on a, um, on a task force in Brevard County at the moment the Space Coast Health Foundation's Behavioral Health Task Force. Part of that task force has the Brevard County Schools on it. And what we determined uh, through a bunch of meetings is that there's an issue, there's a problem. We're missing kids. We're missing young people that are struggling. And the episodes and incidents of suicidal thinking, suicidal action is increasing. And there needs to be some response and it needs to be a community response. It's not just localized to one school system, mm-hmm. one group of kids. It's really going on everywhere. So we need so that the task force has formed a sub task force solely focused on youth suicide prevention to put forth a couple of very actionable and distinct ideas and action plans to target the areas where we see gaps. We have service providers, we have attention paid to mental health in the schools, but there are still gaps that need to be filled in in order to really help come around. So again, going back to that idea of structure, to provide a structure around a young person who may be experiencing an emerging issue so that they, they know that they're not alone, that there are there's hope and that there's intervention for them far before they get to that place where, like Father Anthony was talking about, of feeling hopeless, Mm -hmm. of feeling so overwhelmed and trapped that they feel like they have no way out. Well, so you bring up an an interesting point, and I think it's one that parents are always dealing with, especially parents of teenagers. How do I know when my teenager is experiencing depression? Because as we've talked about many times before, Teenagers, I think, Catherine, you've talked about, they can go from zero to 100 and back to zero on the same day, maybe Mm -hmm. in the same afternoon, maybe in the same hour. And a lot of times we're told, well, that's normal adolescent development. That's just how kids are. And I can certainly recall times in, in, in my adolescence when that was the case. How do we know when our kids need help? That's a great question. And it's one I think parents ask all the time. 
How do I know what the difference is? What, what looks different? Because we see our children every day. We watch them go through their normal cycles of happiness and sadness and grumpiness and difficulty. For parents, it's really hard to know. We're prone to missing it all the time, and that doesn't make us bad parents. It doesn't make us remiss, um, but it makes it more difficult to see. So really what we're looking for is a change in your, your young person's mood that sustains whether that is anxious irritability, sadness, and irritability. Note that there's irritability in both mm-hmm. places. Mm-hmm. So if we're seeing that over longer periods of time, it's not shifting. Like what's a longer period of time? Start at about two weeks and go, from be- go out from there. Okay. okay. okay? Changes yeah. in their friend groups, changes in their activity levels. And I mean, when we're young, we change our minds all the time. One day you want to be a soccer star, the next day you're going to be a violinist. That's normal. But what becomes a yellow flag is if your young person is highly connected and into some activity and then drops that activity and picks up nothing else. If we see that, that should be a point of question. What's going on there? What's changing? Um, Reckless behavior, risk-taking behavior, Mm -hmm. substance use, right? All of those variables, you know, you don't need to see everything, but you, but if you see a few things coming together, that might be a time to really lean in and talk to your, talk to your child and kind of see where they are. We don't have to, as parents, we don't necessarily have to know all the answers to fix it, but we do need to put ourselves out there to have a safe space for our kids to come and talk with us and maybe ask for the help that we that they need. One of the things that generationally I think is happening is that our young people in this time, they know more about mental health and it's discussed more openly than it, it was certainly in my own generation. What we see is because moms and dads haven't learned to talk about how they feel, haven't necessarily learned to be more open about that and have open discussions about that inside the home, outside the home. We have a disconnect to a certain extent between youth vocabulary and their comfortability in talking about mental health and how they're feeling and how they're doing supporting their peers talking about themselves and mom and dad who may not be as comfortable. So one of our target areas is to really reach out to parents and help them understand that it's okay not to know. It's okay to, to maybe have missed something, but to, to, to strive to learn about themselves and how they can use that, their own understanding of self, to be more connected to their kids, to be able to be more, a little bit more comfortable talking about difficult topics, especially suicide. You know, it's, I appreciate you sharing that. And, Father, it occurs to me, I'm going to take a what may feel like a hard right turn. <laughs> but I'm thinking of the spiritual works of mercy. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking that from a faith standpoint, and this is not an issue that's addressed by faith alone. But it seems to me that if we accept the reality of Jesus Christ, and if as a parent I live my faith, then... My faith calls me to always have hope. Mm-hmm. And one of the things we're talking about here is we run into families where that may not be the first stop for folks. 
it's not well I, I don't know how to have hope my my child is doing this and as a parent I lose hope if I lose hope then I'm going to withdraw from my child I'm going to I'm going to hope and pray I'm going to become an ostrich I'm going to stick my head in the sand and hope and pray that this is just a passing phase mm-hmm. and you're saying you're saying the exact opposite this is when you got to stick your head up and say this may not be a passing phase and 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 son or daughter let's talk father I think of counseling the doubtful Yes. I think of instructing the ignorant, and I, I, I just how how do we tie this together from a psychological, emotional standpoint, and then go to our spiritual grounding? You see, I, I think it goes right back to what you said at the beginning, and, and Catherine responded to it. It's it's a structure. It's when there is a flaw in the structure, or when the structure does not exist, and. And you know me, I, I always look to either the scripture or the catechism. Amen. And, and the catechism of the Catholic Church, you know, um, number 2281, talking about that structure, it says, you know, and, and, and in the context of suicide, it says that when the structure is unjustly broken, and what is broken? The ties of solidarity with the family, the ties of solidarity with the nation and the ties of solidarity with other human societies to which we we need to continue to have an obligation. So when these ties are broken, and I believe that those become the yellow flag that you talk about, you know, mm. so so they're yellow and then later on they become red, you know. But so we start there. And and so when we start to notice this, that's when, that's when we, we need to do something about it. But there's also something that I love to say, and, and I think that this is good with, with our discussion here, is that we need to create a culture rather than just do things one-off. Mm-hmm. But we have a culture, and I think that's what Catherine said, a culture where people can have conversations together rather than, you know, put their head in the sand. Absolutely. Something that, that comes kind of out of, of the 12-step movement in AA, one of their their phrases is, you know, you're only as sick as your secrets. Secrets live best in the dark. When we don't talk when we avoid, and we avoid for a lot of reasons, because it's uncomfortable, it's anxiety-provoking, it's difficult. What if we say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing or make it worse somehow? But not connecting, not reaching out and taking that risk and asking somebody that tough question, leaning in and saying, hey, I noticed some changes. I'm concerned about you, I love you, Um, and I'm worried, let's talk. Not having that conversation, not taking that risk, isolation, withdrawal, fear, shame, all of those negative feelings build and, and grow and fester. So what you're pointing out, Catherine, I can face the fear of having the tough conversation mm-hmm. and realize that perhaps the worst that can happen is we end up not having a great conversation. Or I can run from that fear of having the bad conversation and stick my head in the sand and then I have no information whatsoever exactly. and 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 so the consequences of facing the first fear are there you know we can have a blow up an argument etc but it's better to move in that direction and show that you love that person 
in this case, a parent to a child than it is to, well, I'll just hope and pray that everything's okay and we'll wait and see if things get better. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. One of the main drives of the Brevard effort is to really engage parents. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to assume that part of what we want to do is we want to get people to understand because we do all this training with mental health first aid through Catherine and her team um, around the region. Obviously, we want to take on this issue of stigma. So where are we with the stigma of, well, how do I acknowledge that my child may have depression, anxiety, and I need help? How do, how do, I, how do I overcome that? Because in order for me to overcome that, I may have to acknowledge that I have anxiety and I have depression. And so we're working. It's, it's a twofer. <laughs> I like the way you put that. It yeah. is a twofer. You know, there's, there's no one single answer here overcoming, breaking down stigma, uh, it does take a little bit of time and education and willingness to learn and to be a little bit vulnerable to the fact that there may be things that we don't know and that we we need to gather some information on. The This sub-task force on youth suicide is really hoping to put together a, a package not only of information but of delivery system to get the word out because a, a lot of what perpetuates stigma is lack of understanding and lack of knowledge. So if we can get the information out there in a form where people can digest it, where people can uh, can understand it and maybe gain even a small chunk of different perspective, that's, that's the thing that helps to kind of turn the tide. The other thing is that as parents, we live in a community of other parents. And if we could, if we can talk amongst ourselves, if we can learn that our neighbor maybe has a similar struggle or has a similar story, then it, it helps to normalize what we're going through and helps us to understand that we are not alone as parents, that our young people aren't alone in their own struggle. Children are much more, children and youth are much more anxious today than they were mm -hmm. 10, 15, mm -hmm. 20 years ago. And that's a contributor. <clears throat> That hopelessness, that overwhelm, the world is the world has a lot more information accessible, and that accessibility and the information that's coming to us makes our world much more complicated. I talk with my kids about this, Lynn and I do. But you know, when I when I was in school, we did fire drills and tornado drills. That was it. You learned to put your head under your desk, and and you went in the hallway, on a fire drill, you evacuate the building. Today, they do active shooter drills. Yes, they do. That's mind-boggling. Mm. I, I that th that creates anxiety in me, uh, and and I can't imagine what it's like as a kid to engage in a drill where we're going to pretend that an active shooter is on campus and we've got to you know bar the doors and everybody be quiet, turn out the. I, it's just terrifying. Mm -hmm. Mm. What do we do with that? It's a great question. I'm good at asking great questions. <laughs> it's a great question. So so I want to I want to swing back then. So obviously, and I applaud the efforts of our behavioral health professionals who are concerned and want to try and do all that they can to bring as much material and information to parents to help them to understand that it's okay to ask questions. It's okay to be frightened. It's okay to be concerned. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, God gave you warning bells as a parent. It, co it comes with the first baby. You get warning bells, and, and when, when our little ones are really small, our warning bells are extremely sensitive and loud. As our kids grow older, we learn to turn the bells down because if they were going off all the time, it would drive us insane. Our behavioral health professionals, Catherine, you and your team, 
are helping us to understand that it's okay to have the bells up. It's okay to say, you know what, I'm not comfortable. Father, from a, from a spiritual perspective, you know, how do priests handle this? Because I've got to believe that there are parents who come to priests and say, I'm concerned, I don't know what to do. Uh, what do we do from a, from a pastoral standpoint to, to blend with our, our psychological, emotional approach from behavioral health? How do we bring all that together? Well, you see, so one of the things is that if we work together as a community, because with, with Catherine and her team going out and doing this mental awareness, you know, program, mental health first aid, mental health first aid, and so that that's one of the things I went through that course, because and as a priest I felt it was necessary for me to know that also because I work with young people in schools. It, it's very, very necessary to, to know that. Therefore, I too can become one of the stewards who helps to, to, uh, to educate other persons, you know. So each one can teach one. And, and if we continue to work as a community, so, so school in the old days, we always talk about school, church, and home. They were the three major institutions that helped people to live their lives properly. We need to get back to that. School, church, and home working together. Therefore, our priests need to be trained in this. Our teachers need to be trained. All of those who work with young people or youth ministers, that's how we'll be able to combat this situation, that we are all stewards of life. We talk about life so much, right? Absolutely. So we're the stewards of the life that is given, not just to me, but also the life given to other persons. So Catherine, hearing Father Anthony talk about his experience with mental health first aid, it seems a logical place to talk uh, uh, for a couple of moments about what you have done, especially with the Catholic schools office, and I think Brevard schools. Mm -hmm. um, so, Father, you're, you're spot on. What are we doing? Well, we, we've been doing a lot. Even through the pandemic, we've been doing quite a bit. Mental Health First Aid is an evidence-based training platform that teaches anyone, everyone, about the basics of mental health, about how to lean in and really engage with people who may be experiencing a mental health issue or an emerging mental health crisis. Uh, it... it provides resources and greater understanding so that we can connect to one another. Mental Health First Aid doesn't train you to be a therapist. That's not its role. That's not its job. <laughs> um, but what it does do is create, um, you know, once you go through the course it, 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 and you come out the other side, as Father Anthony said, you have some tools to be able to lean in and help in a, in a helpful and meaningful way. Because I think we all have a heart to help each other. But there are certain things that we need to, to learn and understand so that we can help in a, in a truly helpful and healthy way rather than using language or using action that may be counterproductive and sometimes even harmful. Behavioral Health Services has been training in mental health first aid since 2017. We have trained almost the entirety of the Catholic school system in Central Florida We've had massive 600 plus person trainings where staff, 
teachers, administrators, janitors, the lunch lady, everyone comes. Mm, absolutely. Because anyone can be the one person that a young person connects to. Right? Sometimes, sometimes circumstances, sometimes stressors at home make it too difficult or impossible to connect to mom and dad the way that they would want to. But it only takes one person. So the idea of training all staff that touches the lives of children to kind of get an understanding of what they're looking for, to be more aware, to, to use helpful, uplifting language, that means it could be anybody. It could be a coach. It could be the dance instructor. It could be the French teacher. It doesn't matter. It matters who that young person connects to. And it matters that we, that we too, help our young people connect to one another. That's another initiative and a slightly different topic than, than, than what we're talking about. We talk about mental health, health first aid, but that's what we're talking about, too, in the task force. How do we help young people connect with the correct information? Mental health first aid comes in, we train in two different forms. We train adults who are encountering adults. And we train adults, anyone over 18, who works with young people because the warning signs, the signs and symptoms, the presentation of mental health, emerging mental health issues looks very different between a, a youth and an adult. And it's really important to understand those distinctions. Uh, we were fortunate enough to be part of a larger team for Brevard County Schools. We went out and uh, did some virtual training for Brevard County Schools back in February. And we'll do that again in June or July. We'll be part of their massive effort to train all of their new teachers and administrators and staff that maybe weren't here when those original trainings were going on. It's a wonderful way to help people not have a radical shift in the way that they think, but just turn their head and look at, a, look at, look at young people and what they're seeing behaviorally, emotionally, socially in a slightly different direction. And if we can do that, we can reach more young people before things get more difficult, before there are co-occurring or, or things happening at the same time like anxiety and substance mm -hmm, uses. Mm -hmm. So, and, and if you do that, if you intervene early, if you intervene quickly, the outcomes are much better. People get better and they don't have to spend 10 plus years suffering before seeking treatment because that's the average length of time that a person suffers with a mental health issue before they seek treatment naturally on their own. And when we think about you, think about think about what happens in 10 years of, of a young person's life if, if they're emerging with an anxiety or a depression or, or some other mental health issue around age 12 to 14. Mm -hmm. Now go a decade out. That's 24. That's college. That's graduation from high school. That's relationships and friendships and first jobs that are all impacted. Absolutely. So if someone wants information... Let's say I'm a parent who I'm concerned that my child may need counseling or intervention, mm -hmm. um, or I'm interested in this mental health first aid training. How do I go about learning about those things? I love Softball. that you asked that. Softball. I love that you asked here's that question. Here's the swing. <laughs> and here she goes. Um, best way to start, best place to start is to go to Catholic Charities' website and look at behavioral health services. We have information posted there. Um, so it's cflcc.org. That is correct. Yeah. We have information posted there that can educate you on the basics of mental health first aid, what the course is. It gives a description of what we do and when we do it. We have courses that run uh, every month 
in youth and adult. So that that would be an easy place to go to gain initial information about mental health first aid. You can also go to the National Council on Mental Well-Being, which is where the program itself comes from. If you would like to learn more straight from the horse's mouth, as it were, um, I would strongly suggest that you look at or and keep the number for the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, mm -hmm. which is 1-800-273-8255. Put that in your phone. Not a bad place to have it. So it's always on hand. The National Suicide Prevention Lifeline runs 365 days a year, seven days a week. It's translated into... I think it's 20 different languages, maybe more. There's a specific section dedicated only to veterans. It's a place that you can, where, where people can connect with a crisis counselor who will talk to them about what's going on. It does not automatically result in a hospitalization, mm -hmm. but if someone is in active crisis, they have, through their technology, they're the ability to get the authorities and people that need to, to intervene right to that person's location. So it's a wonderful resource. Great. Mm. Thank you. You're welcome. Father, how do you want to summarize today's conversation? Wow. Oh, wow. <clears throat> you know, and and maybe I could just summarize by reading again from the catechism. <laughs> you know, An excellent and, source. And, and this is this is where the, the hope comes in. So Catechism of the Catholic Church 2280. Everyone is responsible for his life before God, who has given it to him. It is God who remains the sovereign master of life. We are obliged to accept life gratefully and preserve it for his honor and the salvation of our souls. We are stewards, not owners of the life God has entrusted to us. It is not ours to dispose of. And therefore, we do everything that we can to preserve life in all its stages. Amen. Amen. Catherine, we want to thank you for visiting with us today. Uh, it's certainly an important topic and one that requires mercy. Uh, mercy for the parents who are dealing with kids who may have struggles from a mental health standpoint. Certainly mercy for the young people we're talking about. And I think it would be important to just in, in closing to acknowledge this is not an issue that's unique to young people. It's just the data is concerning because of what's happening with our younger, younger age set and uh, very timely, Catherine. Thank you for all that you do. Well, thank you for letting me come and speak with you both today and all the, the folks that are going to be listening to this. I appreciate taking time to have a discussion about this issue because it's hard even to do that sometimes. Yeah. It is. So thank you so much. Come again. Yeah. Anytime. <laughs> Father, would you close us with a blessing? The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Go in peace. Thanks be to God. <laughs> and soon Gary will be saying that quite a bit. <laughs> oh, hilarious. <laughs>